0: You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm the founder of JustBaseball.com, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about a few different things. I wanted to finally wrap up the finishing thoughts on some of the MLB draft stuff. I know I talked about it last week. I apologize for the delay between the episodes. A lot of traveling from Denver back to home, and full disclosure, also took a pit stop to Visit my friend Griffin Conine on his birthday, who is now getting called up to double A. He's in double A Pensacola for the Marlins, of course, the minor league home run leader. So, really excited for him. But with the traveling, I have not been as good with the episodes, and I do sincerely apologize about that. But I'm going to catch up with a lot of it today. And I know that the Futures game was a week ago, and I know that the draft was a week ago, so I'm not going to hash on it too much. But I do want to talk about some of the important standout things from those two events. I know I talked a lot about the draft already, so just some little steals, some picks I liked here and there, and some teams that I thought really stood out. The Futures game, a couple big takeaways, especially that I got to see Jason Dominguez. I thought for a while that he might just be a hologram on the backfields that doesn't actually exist, but no, he's a real person. Got to see him a little bit, so we'll talk about what I saw from Dominguez and why Bobby Wood Jr. is just unfair and ridiculously good and stood out so beyond belief in that ball game and some other little thoughts from that game. And then I wanted to talk talk about some of baseball's recently called up prospects. We've got Jaron Duran, we've got Brandon Marsh, and now Josiah Gray all getting the nod. Of course, Cal rally has gotten called up as well, but not not the best start for him. He's 0 for 12 to start his big league career. I wouldn't worry about it too much. He will be just fine but not the best start ever. I'm still really excited about Raleigh as well and the Mariners have, of course, so much young talent over there. But we're going to talk more about Brandon Marsh, Josiah Gray, two guys that I've talked about so much. If you're an OG on lockdown MLB prospects, those are guys I've talked about ad nauseum. So very excited to see those guys called up. And then Jared Duran, somebody I have not talked about as much. Somebody that wasn't as much on my radar going into this year, but I've been really impressed with the big league at-bats I've seen from him and the minor league at-bats as well. So we'll discuss Duran in this episode too. But let's start a little bit with the MLB draft quickly and a little bit on the futures game, just so you can get a few of my firsthand thoughts having been there. I know I briefly touched on it a couple episodes ago, but I can't start anywhere else other than my man, Brennan Davis. I don't think I've hitched my wagon as a prospect analyst on a prospect more in my entire life than Brendan Davis. And Man, was it fun to watch him go yard twice in that Futures game? Both homers over 400 feet. One was just dead central. Another was a liner straight out to left field. He is just so good. The swing plays, he's athletic. He's only going to get stronger. He's already filled out a little bit. I mean, this guy is special. He's hitting in double A already, 150 WRC plus, in double A is a 21 year old. Brennan Davis, no doubt, stood out in that event. And I am hoping now that everybody is starting to hop onto the Brennan Davis train. It was so funny to see all the people tweeting at me. I really appreciate those of you who were tweeting at me like, oh, Aurum, you must be freaking out right now. I was, I was pumped. A big reason why, though, is just because I think he is going to be a big centerpiece for the Cubs, too. I think he's going to be great for baseball as a really exciting, I always say, Matt Kemp type of player. But the other reason, selfishly, that I was very excited is that I have a lot of money to be fully, fully transparent here. A lot of money invested into his cards. So it was nice to see him continue to perform there. And let's see, maybe that could be a good investment for me. And obviously, a lot of money is relative. But for a guy that podcasts and has a baseball website, it's a lot of money for me. So I am excited about what we've seen from Brennan Davis. But I would say the guy at the plate that stood out beyond belief was Bobby Witt Jr. And Bobby Witt Jr., the the analogy I gave was that Bobby Witt looked like a 10-year vet playing against some of baseball's top prospects. And you might look at the box score and say, what are you talking about? He didn't have a hit. He had a line drive to left field and a line drive to right field, both over 100 miles an hour. One was 113. The other was 104, I believe. And just absolute lasers. Like the left fielder caught it and looked like he was so uncomfortable like he thought it was going to slow down, but it was still taking off and almost pushed him back when he caught it 350 feet away from where it was hit. He is just different. Bobby Wood Jr. is just 100% different. He looks so comfortable up there. He had some incredible takes on really good pitches against some of the best pitching prospects in baseball. I really liked his approach. When he did decide to attack pitches, he attacked them the right way, whether it was going oppo, whether it was hitting a pitch middle end and just turning on it. I loved what I saw from Bobby Wood Jr. And what I'll say is this, Just Baseball's top 100 Prospect list is coming out very shortly. Bobby Wood Jr. will be in the top three and he's not three. I'll just say that. So he's going to be way up there, and he is a very, very, very good prospect. That's pretty much as close to big league ready as anybody out there. I think we could see him by the end of this year, and he looks like he's ready to go. I mean, there's not much else we need to see. The glove is phenomenal as well. He's going to be a MVP type of player at the major league level, and I'm pretty much sold on that after what we saw. Jason Dominguez had some uncomfortable swings, but I would say overall, I was pretty surprised at how much Dominguez was able to hold his own. Remember, this is a guy that has only played, what, like 12 professional games? And at that point, it only played like six or seven professional games at the rookie ball level, and now all of a sudden it's playing against some guys that are knocking on the door of the big leagues that are some of the best prospects in baseball and he held his own I was actually impressed with his approach I think there's still some length to the swing he muscles up a little bit at times but the athleticism is real the bat speed is no doubt real and you could see why people are so high on him that being said I am not going to put Jason Dominguez inside of my top 20 prospects he'll be in the top 30 range but I'm not putting him inside the top 20 because I need to see something I need to see more I definitely see the tools, but there's been a ton of tooled out players that have not been able to put it together. I'm not saying Dominguez won't be that guy, but I'm not putting somebody in the top 20 that has only played 12 professional games. I just need to see a bit more. But what I will say is, I was impressed with how comfortable he was relative to his experience level. I would say that he was just as comfortable up there as Yoelki Cespedes was, and he's about six years younger. So it was a good, good showing from Jason Dominguez. I would say you should come away encouraged. If you're a Yankees fan or a Jason Dominguez investor in his cards, though, I will say his cards are so overpriced again, because of the fact that he hasn't proven anything for him to be at the same price point as Marco Luciano and some of those other players. That is a crazy card investment for me. You're just not, you don't have much room to make money in that regard, but we talk about some of the other players that I thought looked really good. Shane Baz is right there. Now that I got to see him in person, the numbers line up too. he's right there with my man, Grayson Rodriguez as the top pitching prospect in baseball. I'd say it's 1A and 1B. And then the guy that really stood out to me beyond belief was Cade Cavalli. Cade Cavalli has some of the most effortless triple digits I've ever seen, especially from a prospect, just effortless 99, effortless 100. And he can really, really gas it up. Four viable pitches. The only question for him is the command. Since he's gotten moved up to double A, the command has really taken a hit. I'm assuming it's because he's throwing more secondaries. You can't just blow the fastball by guys as much. But man, effortless velo, good stuff. I want to say that if the command comes along, Cavalli's got some Justin Verlander light in him where he's got that electric stuff. He can overpower you. It's also not a lot of effort. He sustains the velo deep into starts, and he's got nasty break and stuff. I really could see that type of mold from him. I'm not saying he's going to be Justin Verlander, but he's got that Justin Verlander light type of uh, angle to him. And he's only in his first professional season. And remember, he only made 12 collegiate starts. 12 collegiate starts. He's a late bloomer, so he doesn't have a ton of miles on his arm. He's still getting more polished as he goes. He's a big dude, still cleaning up the mechanics a little bit. I thought they're pretty clean, though, because there's not a lot of effort, and he is going to continue to improve that command. Once the command comes along, even if it's just average, he's going to be an ace type of starter. He really stood out to me as well. Luis Medina as well, another guy that doesn't have quite as diverse of an arsenal as somebody like Cavalli but my goodness that guy throws gas he throws gas and the breaking ball is disgusting he needs a third pitch he needs to work on the command as well but he was throwing cheese and it was just exploding out of his hand I think he was up to 101 he is going to be special if he can harness that stuff but overall just so much fun to watch that game came away really impressed in a lot of guys I will say Austin Martin is not Impressing me. I was not impressed by the at bats. I don't love what he has going on at the plate right now. It's just so, so watered down. And by that, I just mean there's not a lot of explosion. There's not a lot of twitch. It just seems very bat to ball focused. He looks like Donovan Solano up there at the plate. And that's fine. You know, if he's a 750, 760 OPS guy and plays second base or plays center field, like you're a big leaguer, he's got above average speed. I guess he's a big leaguer. But we're seeing prospect outlets rank him in the top 15. And I just don't see that. What does he have going for him tools-wise that not many other players have? Other than a pretty good field to hit, he does have a very good field to hit, I should say, and a good approach that's about it. He doesn't have much power. He doesn't have plus speed. It's above average speed and there's not much else. The defense, he's not a shortstop. He's a bit positionless. He could play center. He could play second. He could play third. Doesn't have enough power to play third. We'll see if he's fast enough to man center or takes good enough routes. Could end up at second base. I just don't see how this guy's a top 15 prospect. I didn't see a ton of whip in that swing. I wasn't very impressed. With what he was able or not able to generate at the plate, I don't think power is ever going to be part of his game. More than 10, 12 home runs. And I hope it's more than that. But it just, I just did not come away very impressed from Austin Martin. I think that he's got a high floor, but I just don't know about that ceiling. And we'll have to see. But up close in person, I just did not love the bat speed or really the explosiveness at the plate. So that is it on Austin Martin. That's it mostly for the Futures game. I wanted to just talk a little bit more about the draft. I know I didn't talk about the back end of the first round, so I'll touch on that briefly and then a couple other good picks or some steals that I thought were had I got to start with the Marlins right because I went one through 15 I got to start with the Marlins at 16 obviously I cover the Marlins and that's going to be a team that I'm going to have a little bit more on when it comes to what they were doing in the draft I can promise that they had absolutely no plans to draft Khalil Watson coming into that draft day but he falls to 16 and there's a few different reasons why he may have fell we also saw a lot of underslots earlier in that first round even from the first pick with Henry Davis as I talked about in that last episode and then Colton Kowser at 5 and then Frank Mazzicato at 7 and I think as we saw some of those players go off the board in the top 10 and Khalil Watson who had a high price tag starts to fall a little bit teams that were drafting in the 8, 9, 10, 11 range, and then 12, 13, 14. All those teams could not afford Khalil Watson because it would have just eaten into their bonus pool beyond belief. The Marlins, they were probably able to pull it off because they had an earlier second round pick than other teams, which means that's going to be a more expensive and valuable pick. They have that 31st overall pick as well, which is the second compensation selection. And their bonus pool is going to be a bit larger. I think it was around 10th largest bonus pool in the draft. So they're going to have to figure out a way. To budget here because Joe Mack is probably going to get close to the full slot value, I would assume, which is 2.31 million. Khalil Watson's price tag is reportedly around 5 million or over 5 million. The slot value for that selection was 3.75. So the Marlins are going to have to find a million and change somewhere. They were able to sign Sam Prater, their sixth round pick, for about 74,000 under slot. Uh, A lot of the other guys, I think Brady Allen, who was their fifth round pick, is going to get just a little under slot. But overall, they're going to have to find some ways to save some cash. I'm not sure how they're going to do it. It's going to be interesting to see how they're able to save up to a million dollars. I know that they're going to probably use every ounce of that 5% that they're going to be able to go over. You can go over the bonus pool up to 5%. If you go more than 5%, then you're going to get tax to oblivion and potentially lose a pick, and that's not ideal. So we'll see how they go. They, they went with a lot of fourth-year seniors out of college with their final selections. I believe something like eight of their final 12 picks were either fourth-year college players or fifth-year college players, so they'll be able to underslot those guys pretty heavily. Don't love that about the system, but that's going to be how they're going to be able to sign Khalil Watson. So, assuming they sign Khalil Watson, they got Joe Mack there, the catcher they really need, 31st overall. They got Cody said a high-floor guy as well. This was a very, very solid draft for the Marlins, and you got to be coming away pretty happy if you're a Marlins fan in terms of the draft, not really in terms of anything else, because it's been a disaster in every other aspect for the Marlins this year. Some of the other select that stood out. I really liked Matt McClain to the Reds because he's got a lot that reminds me of somebody that's been doing great for them at the Major League level in Jonathan India. There's a lot of Jonathan India in there. I'd say he's a bit more athletic. He's a bit more versatile. He's listed as a shortstop in the draft. We'll see where he ends up playing. I think he's more than capable of playing shortstop. The bat plays. If Matt McClain did not break his finger, he probably would have been a top 10 pick. And I think that the power is about 55. I put on it. It's 50 to 55. But in that stadium in Great American Ballpark, I think he can easily tap into 20 home runs plus. He's got enough feel for that, enough of the ability to drive the ball to all fields, that gap-to-gap approach that should play. He should easily be able to sneak 20 home runs. He's got above average speed. He can play shortstop. He can play third. He can play second. He can play the outfield. That's a great guy to be able to draft at 17. High floor should be a fast track to the big leagues as well. I don't expect him to spend more than a year and a half, two years in the minors with his approach and with how advanced He is at the plate. He was good in the Cape. He didn't jump off the charts to me in any way, but I was really encouraged what we saw before he went down towards the end with UCLA. And again, in a situation like in Cincinnati, I think that offensive profile will really play up and there's a lot of ways that they can utilize him and they like players like him. The next pick was surprising to me, Michael McGreevy. McGreevy, I love. I think this is a great pick because he has that mold that I think people need to start looking at more so in pitchers, which is having command of three to four viable offerings, average to above average offerings, and betting on your ability as an organization to make that stuff play up even more, whether it's with spin rates, whether it's with mechanics, whether it's with weight training, and how you are able to get them to boost that stuff rather than going after the pure stuff and trying to get a guy to harness it. I think that's a little bit harder, and we're seeing teams have success with that. The Indians are the best with that. Shane Bieber is a perfect example, and this guy, Michael McGreevy, is getting some comps to Shane Bieber. We'll see if he can kind of go on that similar track as Bieber did. 18 was definitely earlier than I thought he would go, but not a ridiculous reach by any means, and they also saved about three-quarters of a million dollars by drafting McGreevy, and I'm sure they really liked him there out of UC Santa Barbara. Had a great year. The next selection, another really good one, the Blue Jays go with Gunnar Hogland. This was a great pick for them because they need some more pitching help, whether it's at the big leagues or in their system. I love Simeon Woods Richardson. I think he's fantastic. And I love Alec Manoa, but Nate Pearson has not been able to stay healthy. They don't have a ton of pitching depth throughout the system beyond that. And Hogland is a super high floor guy. If he did not end up getting Tommy John surgery, he would have been a top 10 pick as well. The second he comes back, assuming that all is well, which there's such a high success rate with Tommy John at this point, as long as everything is fine with him, he's got the command, he's got the stuff. He will be a rapid climber through the minor leagues. I know it sounds a bit backward, to draft a guy that's injured, that you want to have on a quicker timeline, but I still think he's going to beat a lot of these arms to the big leagues once he comes back healthy because of how advanced he is as a pitcher. Trey Sweeney to the Yankees, interesting. I know the Yankees really liked him. I know they also really liked Bubba Chandler, but ultimately they go with Sweeney. I'm assuming Chandler's price tag might have been a bit higher, and Sweeney's interesting the guy can swing it he is a mid-major guy we'll see how he does we'll see if he can stick at shortstop but the Yankees like the bat I think the bat's interesting and not a bad pick there I just think that they could have probably gone a different route because they didn't really save that much money I think they saved about $200,000 on that selection the Yankees aren't the best drafters in the world but I do like Trey Sweeney's offensive profile I just don't know if I like it at 20. Jordan Wicks for the Cubs, a good pick for them because I think they really need some surefire, more advanced guys in that system. They went after a bunch of teenagers in their trades in the past. The Udarvis trade, some other trades that they've made. They wanted some high, high ceiling, high variance Wide range of outcome type of prospects to boost their system. That's great. But now get some of the more high floor guys. Jordan Wicks, to me, one of the best change-ups in the draft. Maybe the best change-up in the draft. And also a guy that is a really safe bet to be a middle of the rotation type of arm and climb through the minors quickly as a southpaw. I like that pick of Wicks. There gets the normal slot bonus. White Sox go Coulson Montgomery. That was a player I think they just really liked. Good selection there to get the upside shortstop high school senior. Uh, you can't get, really go wrong there. I don't know if he's going to stick at shortstop. I think he's more likely going to go to third base, but I like the offensive profile. He's got more room to fill out. He's 6'4", 205. He's going to hit for a ton of power. His swing, though, is not sold out for power. I think that average will be a part of his game as well. There's definitely a ton of projectability there, and to get that kind of projectability at 22 is no doubt really interesting. This next selection, 23, is one of the most fascinating selections of the draft in my opinion that nobody's really talking about it's gavin williams to cleveland Like I said earlier, does anybody do a better job of producing arms than the Cleveland Indians? The answer is no. And that was a rhetorical question because the answer is no. Gavin Williams is one of the more intriguing and advanced pitching prospects in this draft from the right side as a guy that went toe-to-toe with Kumar Rocker, went toe-to-toe with just about anybody that he faced this year at East Carolina. The stuff is legit. The fastball is legit. He has a track record of throwing strikes. He's 6'6", 238. And again. Now, the Indians get a guy here that can already pitch. He's got the pitch ability. He looked better and better as the season went on. The track record's consistent, and now they're going to take him to the next level. I think Gavin Williams could end up being one of the best pitchers from this draft, and I am looking at Gavin Williams to potentially crack the top 100 list by the end of the year because of the fact that I think he's going to hit the ground running and be nasty. I'm really excited about Gavin Williams. I think the Indians are going to take him to the next level. I already liked him. Now I love him. The next pick, Ryan Cusick. I'm not huge on Cusick. He's got explosive stuff explosive stuff but does not throw a ton of strikes is susceptible to the long ball I think the fastball flattens out at times I don't love the pick. We've seen the, the Braves do this in the past. They went with the Wake Forest guy last year, going with Jared Schuster, a guy that didn't have a track record but had good stuff. And they do it again with another Wake Forest guy that doesn't have a ton of track record but has good stuff. And we'll see how that works out for them. The Athletics getting another Max Muncie is super funny. I do like Muncie a lot, though. He gets a little bit over slot, high school shortstop, California, a guy can swing it. He's a well rounded player overlooked a little bit because of the fact that this class was loaded with high-end shortstops don't forget though that Max Muncy is really good and not that far off from some of these other high school shortstops I went earlier in the first round I am very interested to see how he does I really believe in the athletics ability to find more advanced high school hitters it did it with Soderstrom and I think Muncy going to be in that same category the twins taking Chase Petty Did not love this selection. I think the Twins need a lot of upside in their system right now. They're in rebuild mode. And Chase Petty, yes, he throws 100. So you could say, well, that's plenty of upside. I think this guy is almost a sure thing, and I hate putting ceilings on high scores. You know I always say that. I don't want to do that, but Chase Petty to me looks like a reliever through and through, and that's fine. He could be an elite closer, but do you want an elite closer at 26th overall? I I guess if it pans out and he's an elite closer, that is a good scenario, but I just don't think I want a guy with this kind of bullpen risk at 26. Uh, That's just not what I would want to do. Petty, a lot of effort in the delivery, not sold on the command. Uh, we'll see how he develops. Maybe he turns into a starter. Maybe the Twins are able to get things going for him. Just see a ton of effort, and I'm not too sold on that. The last few picks here in the first round were pretty solid. I don't have any strong thoughts one way or another. The Padres going with a the guy they liked in Jackson Merrill, saving about three quarters of a million dollars there by save, drafting somebody that wasn't really expected to go in the first round. Uh, that helped them allocate money elsewhere, so I'm cool with that move and I think the Padres really liked Jackson Merrill. He should be an interesting left-handed hitting shortstop as well. Good chance to stick there. Carson Williams, somewhat of a similar story here. I think he's going to be a bit underslot as well. California kid to the Rays. Again, I always believe in the Rays being able to find these guys, so they find that underslot guy most likely. He's interesting. And Maddox Bruns... A really interesting fit for the Dodgers as a guy who's 6'2", 205, a southpaw who models his game, he says, after Clayton Kershaw. Saw a big bump in his velo, was up to 97, 98 by the end of the season after being more in the low 90s. So an interesting selection by the Dodgers with a lot of upside. And he's even named after Greg Maddox. So this kid was born to be a pitcher. I'm interested to see how he develops. Didn't have a ton on him before the draft, so I'm excited to see how this continues as we move forward. I'm going to talk about some of those big-time call-ups you got Josiah Gray set to make his debut. Brandon Marsh has already made his debut. Really excited about those two guys. I've talked about them a ton in the past. And then, of course, Jaron Duran as well. That's all coming up in just a moment. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball is in full swing, and you can get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and your UFC and MMA action. Before next pitch, head over to bet online and if you use the promo code locked on that's one word locked on you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit that's promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts also brought to you by Bilt bar Bilt bar has so many delicious flavors including coconut cherry barcia raspberry mint brownie double chocolate salted caramel strawberry orange cookies and cream german chocolate my personal favorite is mint brownie but the best part of all is that they're all 17 to 18 grams of protein range from 130 to 180 calories they are four to five grams of sugar each and only four to five grams of net carbs all amazing flavors all tasty and all healthy and they're all great for a keto diet they also have Grasshopper Cookie, which is a mint flavor, kind of a spin off of the Girl Scout Cookie Thin Mints, and then also Raspberry, whichever you like. But did you also know that Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team? Pretty crazy. So if you go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at built.com. So let's talk about some of these prospects because it has been really fun to see these guys get called up, especially for teams that are competing. That's been the trend here is that Jaron Duran now is getting called up to give this Red Sox offense a boost and he has done that so far. I think he's also shown a little bit of the inconsistency with his timing at the plate. There's a little bit of movement in his swing and I think that's going to be something that may hinder him against big league pitching. I really like the adjustments though that he has made heading into this year. He clearly has made some major improvements at the plate. We saw the power really break out in AAA where that was the question for him. He had always had this plus plus speed, 70 grade speed, but he'd also never hit more than a couple home runs in a season. I think the most that he had in one singular season was five. In 169 collegiate games, he had three home runs. So power was never a big part of his game, but he has always had that room for it. He's 6'2". He added muscle. Now he's 210 pounds. And now we're seeing it. He also implemented a little bit more of that leg kick to get more into the backside, to get more explosion. And that's good. But it seems like at times, he is struggling to time up all of those parts. But I think he can do it because the swing is quick. It's pretty short. And I like the approach. He seems comfortable hitting the ball to all fields. Saw him hit the ball oppo with authority a few times in AAA. He's already hit the ball pretty hard a couple times in the big leagues. And what I also like about Duran... I like and don't like is he has struggled a little bit at times against righties, which is weird, but it's because the changeup seems to get him off balance a little bit. He struggles to pick up that changeup at times from right-handed pitchers, but I do like that he has some consistency left on left. The left on left doesn't seem to bother him. He hit 300 this year in A. Left on left, the numbers through the minor leagues have been solid against lefties. He hits for more power against righties, so it's it's a good push and pull. He's going to hit for more contacts against lefties, surprisingly, but he's going to run into more baseballs against righties, so you're still going to get a similar OPS outcome, which is solid, and I think that's really encouraging as well. Of course, the speed's always going to play. He's a good defender out there. He's going to be 25 years old soon, so hopefully he sticks at the big leagues right now. I mean, there may be some growing pains at times. I don't know if this is a guy that you're going to ride every single day to be able to help you to the postseason, but definitely a good guy to throw into the mix. A wider range of outcomes for Durant. at the big league level than maybe a Brandon Marsh and Josiah Gray who I'm going to talk about next because Brandon Marsh in my opinion can help this Angels team right now especially in the absence of Mike Trout he's an above average to plus defender in center field he's a plus runner he's got above average raw power sweet swing from the left side and he's got speed he's going to be a game changer in a lot of ways I think and as he continues to get more comfortable at the big league level that's a guy that I think you can have at the top of your order in the one or two spot bring speed to a lineup that could use a little bit more speed, and he's big. He's 6'4", 215, still maintains that plus speed. I think that the power is going to continue to come as he develops. This is one of those guys that I think the power continues to come out as he gets more acclimated in the big league, similar to what we saw with Yelich. I'm not saying he's a Yelich type of hitter, but I think the power is going to continue to come along over the course of his big league career, not as much as the minor league career. But we already saw it start to come out more as he progressed through the minors, and he already had three home runs in AAA through 24 ball games this year, which would have put him on pace to shatter whatever his single season mark was previously. He's looked really comfortable at the plate at the big league level. He is a grinder. He gives tough at-bats. He spoils tough pitches. He's going to walk. A lot and again when you walk a lot You are seeing a lot of pitches You are able to play good defense You're a good runner you can run into the baseball when you need to this is somebody that really can help you right now. And that's a guy, in my opinion, with that kind of skill set translates well into the big leagues, shouldn't have as many growing pains. I'm expecting Brandon Marsh to not only help give this team a little bit of a jolt now, but I think even when Mike Trout comes back, they're going to find a way to try to keep Brandon Marsh in the lineup, whether it's in left field, right field, they'll figure out how they're going to do it. I don't know exactly how the Angels will structure things, but I think they're going to find a way to keep Marsh in that lineup because of the way he's going to be hitting and the way that he's going to be impacting the ball game. I really believe, that there's not going to be as many growing pains from somebody like Brandon Marsh. Next up is Josiah Gray, who should be making a start later today after I released this podcast. And it's really exciting to see him finally break in because even the deepest of teams can be decimated by injuries. And the Dodgers, who have a ton of pitching, have been knocked around by injuries and also Trevor Bauer. But a team that we were once like, where are they going to find a spot for all of these arms? Now they're all of a sudden looking for people to fill spots for them right now. And that's just the nature of the beast that is baseball, especially after after the shortened season and the injuries that we've seen but Josiah Gray in my opinion if you're looking at what the trade market would look like of course they have the prospect capital to be able to go get a stud stud pitcher but I don't think there's going to be that many guys available starting pitching wise on the market that can make a huge difference unless you're going to pay a ridiculous premium of a price and is Kyle Gibson for example better than Josiah Gray will be out of the gate I don't know I don't know. Gibson benefits from a very pitcher-friendly park in Texas. I really think that Josiah Gray could be that deadline acquisition for them, essentially just being that deadline acquisition that you bring in as a starter because he is so advanced. He has just a pure pitch ability, an ability to command his fastball on both sides of the plate, a slider that is plus, and a decent feel for a changeup. He throws strikes. I mean, you look at his numbers in 2019, 130 innings. He punches out 147. He walks 31. And remember, this is a guy that was a shortstop in college, crazy good athlete and just has no problem repeating his mechanics and throwing strikes he looked phenomenal through his several starts in triple a of course they cut him short only through about 15 and two thirds innings and three starts but in those starts 22 strikeouts, two walks. I think when you look at somebody like that, and also, by the way, only gave up eight hits, you look at somebody like that, you have to say, okay, he's just going to throw strikes. He's going to keep hitters off balance, and he's good enough to be able to slot right into our rotation and help us. Is he going to hit his ceiling right away? Probably not, because he still needs to make some strides with that changeup. He still needs to make some strides with his glove side command. But that's more just being nitpicky and what is holding him back from being that number two type of starter that he could possibly be. I I think right now he could slide in and be a Tony Gonsolin caliber pitcher for them right now like Gonsolin was last year and that would be a huge boost to this team. Really excited to watch Gray. I'll have the report on him after we watch that start, but super excited. I think he's going to be really good, and I expect him to be somebody that's going to be in the low threes, low to mid threes, get outs, and might even be better than that out of the gate until the league adjusts to him a little bit. This should be a very, very good addition for the Dodgers. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, catching up on a little bit of lost time, and it was a lot of fun to go through all of those things from the Futures game to the draft and everything in between. Keep an eye out for the JustBaseball.com top 100 list that should be coming out in the next week. A lot of prospect content over there as well. And a reminder that I had two episodes, two interviews with some really intriguing prospects. Evan Mendoza, really interesting Triple A guy from the St. Louis Cardinals, was a ton of fun to talk to. Doing a lot of cool things off the field as well. And also Double A catcher Anthony Molrine from the Angels last week, who was talking about catching Reed Detmers, Chris Rodriguez, all those guys, and had some really good insight. And also has been doing a good job in Double A behind the dish and has been making strides at the plate as well. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.